you know, as Christians, we have to understand and, and be real with where we are. That's what we have to see first, individually. And what where our mindset is and what we desire. Airing the Addisons. I think what God is really calling us back to, it's those individual personal revivals in our own lives where we're like, oh Lord, what have we done? We have minimized you. Promoting truth, wisdom, and empowerment. As the church, man, we should be on the forefront yes. of making disciples, of indoctrination in godly things. If we don't train our kids, they will not be able to stand. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. Erin Addison's. On American Family Radio, thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki. And I'm Will. And Sherry B and J Mac are on tap to help us navigate the show. And uh, we appreciate them. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I want to start off real quick here in the short time that we have in this first segment. Yes. Um, and and I, I want to just kind of jump right into content. Unless, unless <laughs> you have an objection. No and, objection here. And you are like, hey, there's something I need to say. Bring that microphone over here. No, no. Um, then we can pause for a second. Uh, because there's there's something I was reading an article and I thought, man, you know, I really want to talk about that today and um, and probably can carry it over tomorrow. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also we have a guest who's coming up in the next segment. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk Operation Christmas Child. In this first segment, I want to have a conversation around the idea that popular Christianity shows or displays, however you want to say it, but um, popular Christianity shows mere humanity. Popular mm. Christianity shows, displays, reveals mere humanity. Mm-hmm. And my thinking about this was prompted because of an article I wrote on, or I read on the Christian Post. And this article was written by a man named um, Joshua Gilmore who serves as a director of Baptist Collegiate Ministries at North Greenville University. Mm -hmm. And I was, I was really kind of, um, I was struck by his article because the article, uh, and I say this respectfully and lovely, lovingly and thankfully, the article is simply written, right? Um, But it is direct and impactful. And why is it direct and impactful? It's direct and impactful because it strikes right where we are in, um, in the, body of Christ. And the title of the article is pop Christianity is on life support. Hmm. Pop Christianity is on life support. So I want to read a little bit of that. And then I want to go into some of the scriptures that the Lord reminded me of, even as I was reading this article. Well, one other scripture, because one of the scriptures um, our brother includes in the article, but I was thinking about how much we um, in the body of Christ, love celebrity. We love popularity. Um, we love um, people's names and faces and, and things. And, yeah. and, but by the way, this is not something that is new to Christianity. Mm-hmm. And you'll see that from the scriptures. Um, it's already been addressed. But let me read just a little bit of the article here. And, and I want us to think deeply about this. And, and I say that maybe we can't even think deeply enough about this in one segment of the show. Yeah. Um, But we'll do our best. This is how he begins. Joshua Gilmore, he's writing for the Christian Post. He says, well, this is not how he starts his article. I actually moved, sorry, Joshua Gilmore. I actually took his last paragraph and moved it to to the beginning of his article. Like, Mickey, you can't do that. You can't edit somebody's (laughs) work. You're right. I can't. But I'm saying that I did do it so that you know. Okay. So what I'm about to read to you now is actually the last paragraph. This is where he ends up. But I thought... Man, this is kind of where we should begin. Okay, so here's the question. 
So what if pop Christianity is on life support? What if trendy theology was no longer trending? Hmm. What if uncool Christianity became cool again? I guess we'll find out. And I'm somewhat excited by the prospect. So mm. that's that's a great way to land, right? But I wanted to start that way and then go back into his, his article from the beginning. This is his true beginning paragraph. Uh, he writes, I grew up in an uncool church. The sermons were not slick. The music was not modern. And the church's position on societal issues certainly was not politically correct. But back then, churches like this were totally okay. Mm-hmm. The church I grew up in was not ashamed of being countercultural. In fact, they celebrated their moral distinctions in contrast to the world's ideas week in and week out. By and large, the aim of the church I grew up in was not to please pop culture, but the aim was to please God. Mm-hmm. Did my childhood church have issues? Absolutely. But conforming for the sake of cool was not one of them. He continues, in recent years, many cool Christians, he puts in quotes, have publicly fallen. Sadly, these evangelical influencers disappeared from the world of Christian celebrity for any number of scandalous reasons. Some publicly deconstructed their Christian faith on social media and ultimately renounced their faith altogether, while others tragically left their spouses and families via extramarital relations. Some were fired for prolonged verbal abuse and lying, while others were heartbreakingly discovered to have maintained a double life marked by criminal sexual deviance. Mm. Whatever the reason for their departure from the limelight of the evangelical stage, these former Christian celebrities all had one thing in common. They were once very popular. Some were New York Times best-selling authors. Some filled arenas with their popular Christian music. Some were pastors whose sermons were broadcast across the globe. Some even served in Christian higher education. Today, their names are no longer mentioned among Christians except when expressed as a historical cautionary tale. Hmm. He continues, I receive no pleasure in recounting some of the ways prominent Christian leaders have fallen in recent years. Researching this topic has put uh, has been gut-wrenching. Nevertheless, I was pleased to discover that Christ himself speaks directly to this issue of pop Christianity. And then he cites Luke chapter six, verse 26. And and I'll read, I'm reading from the ESV. He gives a quote here. I'll read it from my Bible says, woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did um, to the false prophets. (laughs) Woe to you when people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets. And I was thinking about this and, and I was thinking about how so often Um, One of the things that we've tried to drive home and we've tried to have a conversation around is that uh, Christianity um, is not meant to be popular. Right. In in fact, one of the things that we have historically understood about Christianity is that it separates. Yeah. It divides. It brings peace to the recipient. But in a larger context, it brings a sword. And Jesus said this, I've not come to bring peace, but a sword. So people find this to be sort of a working contradiction, but it really isn't when you understand the gospel. Yes, there is peace for the recipient. There is peace for those who come to Christ, who are able to lay down their burdens, the burden, the weight and the guilt of sin. But there is also a sword because it separates you from people that you once were connected to closely. Yeah. But what we have done um, and, and not just in 21st century America, 
This has been a part of the church for a long time is that we have taken various aspects of our faith and we focused on those things and we've tried to um, create an identity around the thing apart from Christianity. Let me give you an example of what I mean. The Apostle Paul deals with this in his letter to the Corinthians. It's so interesting. Like, guys, this is, man, praise God that we have everything we need that pertains to life and godliness, right? Amen. So here you have the Corinthian church. And what is the Corinthian church doing? The Corinthian church is saying, Paul, 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 Apollos, Apollos, Apollos. And so the, the, first, the, the first century church, all right, has its own celebrities of which Paul is one. But what is amazing to me, and, and man, so much respect for the word of God, for the Apostle Paul. Here is Paul. He is a celebrity, right? But what does he do? He like tears that down, including right. what you think of me. <laughs> and, and what does he say? He says actually to the Corinthian church, when you behave this way, aren't you just being human? Oh, whoa, wait, like that's bad? Yes, yes. This is your, you're just, you're being merely human. In fact, I cannot even address you, address you spiritually mm. because you're just being human when you do things like that. When you say things like that, when you are enamored by people for people's sake. Mm. Mm. And, and by the way, this poses like, this is not a contradiction to giving honor to whom honor is due. Right. But what is it that the Holy Spirit of God is always revealing in us, our heart? It's not the actions. It's the heart. It's it's what we feel that people cannot see. But it's there nonetheless. In first Corinthians, chapter three, verses one through nine. But I, brothers, could not address you as spiritual people, but as people of the flesh, as infants in Christ. I fed you with milk, not solid food, for you were not ready for it. And even now. You are not yet ready for you are still of the flesh. For while there is jealousy and strife among you, are you not of the flesh and behaving only in a human way? For when one says, I follow Paul and another, I follow Apollos. <laughs> are you not being merely human? Mm. Man, I'm telling you that right there, <laughs> that merely human, that is, that's one of those Selah moments yeah. where we think ourselves actually to be a little more advanced you know, than we are because we've got the pastors who are well known. Uh, we're in the orbit of the worship leaders who have <laughs> just the right outfit and the right lights and the right fans on them when they lead worship. And and then worship is not even about God. So often in those moments, worship is about the person who's leading the song or playing the instrument or the person drawing attention to himself or herself. What about the Holy Spirit leading worship? Mm. What about the Holy Spirit of God leading worship and we being merely instruments, tools, right, that the Lord uses, but the Holy Spirit is leading Mm -hmm. the worship. Mm -hmm. I mean, how how can there be any other way for it to be acceptable to God? Yeah. But we so often forget about this and we are enamored by celebrity. And I was thinking about you, Will, I, Mm -hmm. you know, and I, you know, you're pretty um, people know this. You're pretty chill, pretty laid back, but absolutely you are resolute. And I was thinking about how when the Lord began to put on your heart, like how, you know, um, for us to have these conferences because we wanted to equip people. Mm-hmm. We're like, man, there's so much going on and people have so many questions. How do we equip people? How do we help equip their kids? And I remember one of the things that you, you um, stuck to strongly and still stick to is that we don't just grab people because of their names. Yeah. Amen. We don't. Our questions, we don't begin with, OK, who's everybody listening to? Yeah. Who's everybody? We're like, nope. Who's doing the work? Amen. 
who's genuine, who loves the Lord, who really is, is serving as a watchman, who can see what's happening, what's on the horizon, what's coming up the pike. And I, and I say, used to say coming up the pike, but I mean, <laughs> how do you say that it's here? It's here. It's, yeah, it's on right. the pike. I don't know. We're, it's it's at the, at the end of the pike. Right I don't know. Yeah. We're, we're living in it, you know? But I was thinking about how much we have um, compromised on in the body of Christ mm. because we are so, at the end of the day, unfortunately, with all of the equipping that we have mm. via the word of God, we tend to merely be human. Mm. We, tend, we tend to just want what the world wants. We, yeah. we have a distinction that has been given to us, but that distinction is not enough. So, so we're like, well, does your church have any fireworks? <laughs> and we don't say that. We would never, ever right, ask if right. your church has fireworks, but we ask it in other ways. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, again, no, right. so, so what am I saying? What, what, what I'm saying is if this writer is, is accurate in his observation mm-hmm. about popular Christianity being on life support, um, that's actually a good thing because the genuine church lives. Yeah. You know, and it's amazing too, when you talk about the popularity stuff, you know, and when I, when I think about the book of Acts, you know, there were many that were being brought into the, the, the body of believers. They were being saved. Yeah. But that didn't make the church more popular. Mm. You know, oh, they so were good. adding numbers. But, man, they still were different. They still mm-hmm. were seen as like, man, what are those people doing? You know, they still were unpopular. Yes. And so yes. I think, you know, we have to be all right with the idea because this is who we are, mm-hmm. that we're not going to be popular we and a lot of times we will not be liked the things yeah. that we stand for will not be popular in this in this world you know and i, I think if we can really settle down in, with that in our hearts man we yes. we we would be even more effective because we wouldn't even uh worry about trying to uh shape and, and mold ourselves into an image of, of being liked you know yeah yeah i and I, I think probably one of the better ways to get back to that is to go back to the um, original attachment that Jesus had to that warning. It, it was a woe, mm. and and not the not the. Um, remember, oh my goodness, I'm gonna date myself. Remember the '90s uh, Blossom, Joey, the brother. <laughs> whoa, wow. it's, it's not that whoa. <laughs> it's not that like it's awesome whoa. It's like a warning whoa. Yeah. Whoa. Yeah. You know, yeah. it is a, it is a steady stop. Mm. Investigate, like consider this that the world loves you. You will not be above your teacher. Mm-hmm. So how can you think that you are approved if the world loves you and the world did not love your teacher? Like, yeah. it just is so counterintuitive to think that you can train and study under one who was hated. But then you somehow skirt that. You mm-hmm. n- you don't have to worry about that. Yeah. Whoa. <laughs> Whoa. Aaron, the Addison's American Family Radio. We'll take a break and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate you. I'm Miki. And I'm Will, and that's Jennifer Meckle with Great God. 
1993, over 188 million shoebox gifts have wow. been collected for children <laughs> in over right. 160 countries and territories. 188 million wow. shoebox gifts. Hmm. Man, that's a lot of busy people over the years making it to those drop-offs uh, during collection week, which we're in <laughs> collection week right now. November yes. 15th uh, began collection week, and it will run to uh, November 22nd. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to talk today about Operation Christmas Child. We're going to have an opportunity, which I think is a lot of fun because so many of us send gifts, and um, it's quite possible but that we would never meet the kid who will receive the gift that we pack. But it's nice to be able to get a glimpse and to kind of maybe go um, – virtually, if you will, or figuratively speaking, inside a country where a kid did receive a, sh- a shoebox and mm-hmm. to learn about the impact that that shoebox had on that particular child's life. And joining us today is Eve Duchemay, who is going to share with us not only the work of Operation Christmas Child, uh, but also his own testimony, his own story of receiving a shoebox, which for us, I think so many times, um, I know like for our family, for the Addisons, this is a part of our family tradition. Yeah. So this is what we do every year. Um, but I think it's so important for us to make sure that we always connect our tradition and what we're doing um, to a larger meaning and a larger purpose, that it's not just the doing, um, but it's also the will of God to use this work that we're doing Amen. for his glory. Amen. And ultimately, and this is the most important thing, to advance his kingdom, to enlarge the kingdom of God. Eve, thank you so much for joining us today. How are you? Hi, Mickey. Hi, Will. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, Uh, it's a pleasure. It's a pleasure to have you. I wanted to do this because I was reading a little bit of your story in preparation for this uh, interview, and I found it quite fascinating. And I was hoping that you could give our listeners just a little bit of your background, um, having been born in a refugee camp in Congo, uh, and then the traveling that your family did moving around um, and and then ultimately uh, resettling in the United States. But throughout that process, um, the Lord displayed that he had a plan and a purpose for your life. So kind of take us back and share a little bit of your story. Yeah, so I am just so honored uh, to be uh, on today because you guys are, uh, I'm a big fan, by the way. Uh, oh, thanks. And, oh, thank you. Uh, knowing that you guys have been, uh, packing shoeboxes with your own family for a long time is a, it's a true honor to be here. And I, I am just, um, I'm compelled uh, to share the impact that these shoeboxes have on the lives of kids all around the world um, with personally my own. Uh, but in order to do that, like you said, I have to go way back. I have to take you back to, to my upbringing. And um, my family is originally from Rwanda. Um, mm-hmm. uh, so, as you know, and the, the first, uh, you know, the moment I mention Rwanda, everyone's minds are uh, always uh, mm-hmm. go immediately to the Rwandan genocide, and that's yes. um, that, that that's because it's at the core of everything that we are as Rwandans. It's at the core of everything I am, why I was raised the way I was. And uh, to those listening that aren't familiar with the Rwandan genocide, this was a conflict that was sparked by a power struggle between two tribes. Uh, two ethnic groups, the Hutus and the Tutsis. And, you know, for generations, these two tribes didn't get along, but they always found ways to make things work. However, uh, in 1994, one of those tribes sort of, um, you know, broke up into a few factions. One of those factions turned violent and decided they would grab a hold of power by every means necessary. So mm. uh, they got a hold of some weapons. They shot down the president's plane. And when, when that plane came down, killing the president and uh, members of his cabinet. That was the single uh, catalyst. That was the that was the event that led to what came to be known as the Rwandan genocide. When 
within the first 100 days of that plane going down, people marched down the road, the streets with machetes and whatever mm-hmm. weapons they could find and claimed the lives of approximately 1 million people in oh, the wow. span of just over three months. And, mm-hmm. you know, in order for me to <laughs> share why that box meant that, uh, uh, meant how much it, it meant to me. I have to go way back there. I have to yes. uh, explain, you know, kind of the mental state I grew up in as a kid. You know, all I knew of humanity was the evil they were capable of. Mm. One million people were killed in the span of 100 days. And among that million were my family members outside of mom and dad and my brothers and sisters and my mom's little sister. I've never met anyone else. I've never met my grandfather's my grandmothers, my uncles, and my cousins, uh, they were slaughtered for the quote-unquote crime of being born in an ethnic group they didn't choose to be born into. And wow. Will and Mickey, I spent so much of my childhood just trying to make sense of it all, trying to understand how humanity could be so evil, because, you know, mm-hmm. it was the only way for me to sort of cope. And I tried to, I tried to uh, get answers anywhere I could I could get them, but in my quest for answers, I didn't find any. None that were good enough. None that could justify uh, what happened, how it was allowed to happen, how Rwandans could be so evil, but also how humanity let this thing go on for for three months and did absolutely nothing to stop it until it was too late. In my quest for answers, I didn't find any. None that were good enough, and mm-hmm. that left me brokenhearted, left me angry. But more than that. It left me with a hatred, a radical hatred for humanity. I mm-hmm. hated the world, and I mean that in the most radical way possible. And the truth is, uh, can you blame me? Mm-hmm. You know, all I knew was humanity was the evil they were capable of. And uh, you mentioned us being, uh, me being born in Congo and living in eight different countries until we got to the U.S. We didn't bounce around the world because we wanted to, but everywhere mm-hmm. we would go, people would turn us away and tell us, we don't want your kind here. Wow. You know, the, 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 you know, humanity completely ostracized us and turned us away, and that only exacerbated my hatred for humanity. I hated the world, and um, that hatred consumed every bit of who I was, and I saw no way out, which is really interesting because I grew up in a Christian home. My mom and dad are pastors, mm-hmm. you know? Wow. Uh, they would tell me, Eve, look, it doesn't matter what happens to you, what happens to us, you must love God, and you must love your neighbor as yourself. But to me, all of that was nonsense, because I always got caught up on that word neighbor, because it was my grandparents' neighbors who walked down the street with machetes in the middle of the night and did what they did. The anger and the hatred in my heart just prevented any kind of uh, gospel message from entering my heart. But I am here with you guys today because God made a way. Mm. And he used a tiny little shoebox from Operation (laughs) Christian South to get me to where I am today. And I know the listeners are thinking, Eve, how is it possible that stuff from, I don't know, the dollar store or Walmart or Target (laughs) could possibly have the profound impact you claim it did on your heart? Well, let me tell you how. Yes. When I opened up that shoebox as an 11-year-old kid in Togo in West Africa, at the very top, it was a sticky note. And on that sticky note were the words, God loves you, Jesus loves you, I love you. Now, I knew the first two lines to be true because mom and dad had told us this growing up. But for the first time in my life, I was faced with that last line, that last, I love you. A member of that very humanity that I had grown to despise and sworn to despise for the rest of my life, not only was telling me they loved me, but... They sent proof of their love in the form mm. of the 
first and only gift I had ever received in my entire life. And that sticky note, the words on that sticky note were uh, the catalyst for the work of healing that God began in my heart those, those many, many years ago. Look, this didn't happen overnight. Of course not. It happened over time, and I'm still a work in progress. But God began to heal me from my, from all that anger, of all that hatred, and made some room in my love, in my heart for love and compassion, simply by demonstrating His love in a tangible way through a stranger somewhere out there in the world. And I've never been the same. And uh, we could be here all week. If man. I, oh man! If man. I had, <laughs> you know, if I could tell you just how much God has done in my life and the life of my family. Uh, through those shoeboxes, we could be here all week. Well, man, wow. and and can, can I man. just say, Eve's like I, I mean, <laughs> man, I, I am so engaged right now, like because I, as I'm as I'm listening, I, you know, I'm constantly reminded um, that this world is not our home, you mm-hmm. know, and and there are so many different things that happen. They all serve to kind of show that man is so fallen and in desperate need of a savior. And even what you've just outlined, many of us would never be able to connect with that on a personal level. But I think all of us have had, and I say, I don't know if opportunity is the the right word to use, but man, we've been able to see the ugliness of fallen man. You know Mm. what I mean? To some degree, we've been able to see that man needs a savior. I'm so captivated though, um, even as you're talking about, um, this turning point and um, coming face to face with uh, somebody else, another human uh, loving you and mm-hmm. even the wrestling with that. Um, tell me a little bit about what God started to do in the softening of your heart. And then also, if we could, on the other side of that, I, I'm curious about other members of your community, because you were blessed to grow up in a Christian home. But that's not the yeah. story of other people. Um, yeah, of course not. Yeah. Yeah, you know, Nikki, I um, I, I grew up in a Christian home, right? My dad's a pastor. I had the um, the, the advantage, really, the, the the privilege of hearing the gospel thousands mm-hmm. of times, but that word never reached me. You know, as a pastor's kid, as a PK, if there's a PK out there listening, wow. you know, as a PK, you go to church every day, and if you don't go to church every day, the church comes to you. That's the way it works. <laughs> so I was constantly exposed. <laughs> You know, I was I was exposed to that word, but my my hardened heart didn't make room for it. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, God really began to reveal Himself in a brand new way, in a brand new light to me, uh, simply by reminding me of a couple of things. Eve, if this broken humanity as you perceive it, um, which is how I justify hating them, they were worse than I was. I was so much better than they were because I didn't kill, and that's how I justify hating mm-hmm. them. If this broken humanity could demonstrate this sort of tangible love towards me, God was asking me, Eve, what's your excuse? If you're so much better than they are, and they're going out of their way to great lengths to demonstrate this love towards you, a total stranger, what in the world is your excuse? Why can't you pay it forward to the people near you? And Mm -hmm. two, if this broken humanity, as I perceive it, uh, as I perceived it at the time, could demonstrate such an incredible love towards me, a total stranger, God just was asking me, Eve, how much greater do you think my love for you is? And the thing is, on paper, I was 11 years old, but the reality is we were forced to grow up so fast in order to cope Mm. with the trauma Mm -hmm. and the reality of everything going on around us. So I understood what that meant, and it convicted me. To be honest, that sticky note was my least favorite item in in that box that day because 
it challenged every previously held belief that I had in my heart that humanity was doomed. And the reason why humanity isn't doomed, you just said so yourself, is because we have a savior in him. And, you know, that changed completely. Uh, every single way I saw God, I saw the gospel, I saw hope, and uh, I wasn't the only one. The same way those shoeboxes made way for a pastor's kid to, to, to hear the gospel for the first time, for, for the real first time, and for it to enter his heart. In that same way, members of our community got to, got to experience the same thing. You know, when we grew up in Togo, uh, Togo is known for their, the, a lot of the people uh, in our village specifically um, were witch, witch doctors, witchcraft mm-hmm. followers, and voodoo idol worshippers. These were people who had sworn never to set foot in a church. Mm. But because of the level of poverty in Togo, when they heard that they had the opportunity to send their boys and girls to school for the first time ever, just by going to the church and getting these boxes that were full of school supplies, uh, they got caught in a, in a bit of a dilemma, and they had a choice to make. <laughs> Do we choose our kids, you know? Do we choose to send our kids to school for the first time just by breaking this, this rule just for a couple of hours, or, or do we continue to adhere to the... Uh, to the to the rule of the witch doctors and, and all the witch doctors that came before him. And I don't know about you guys, but those parents chose their kids. And mm-hmm. they went to that church that day. They came to my church for the first time ever, uh, hoping to be met with this simple gift full of uh, school supplies, hygiene items, toys. But when they got there, they were met with an even greater gift, the greatest gift that any wow. single one of us has ever received. And that is a gift of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I don't know if, you know, you guys or people listening are tracking with me, but for the first time ever in a community where this had never happened, pastors and witch doctors were under the same roof. And the gospel was preached (laughs) publicly. And all of that was made possible because of 300 shoeboxes. 300. (laughs) If God can do that with 300 shoeboxes, how much more has he done and will he continue to do with the 188 million that has since reached members uh, out there in the world? It just, it it blows my mind. It blows me away. And, uh, and God is still at work today. Okay, man. Listen, brother. Okay, um. <laughs> everybody getting their boxes ready. <laughs> everybody, <laughs> I like, see I, it. <laughs> I mean, I just, I, man, I, I, I don't know. I feel like, man, we've packed shoe boxes, yeah. and and I feel like I think we understand the significance of what we're doing. Man, but can I just more. tell you this today? Is, I'm is, like, oh man. Yeah. Um, yeah. So so okay, do this for us then. Um, Take us inside the church in Togo. Like, for us who are are listening, help us understand what happens. So the kids come in, they learn via the community that um, there is an opportunity to receive school supplies and other items. And so then kind of walk us through what happens so that we are able to maybe um, sit on the back row for a minute. Yeah, you know, um, we didn't have cell phones (laughs) back in the day, Uh, but the word spread fast. Mm-hmm. Everybody found out quickly. Uh, and that, that just stems from the poverty in, in Togo. And when they found this out, they were they were quick to arrive at that church on that Sunday afternoon and, and line up and get shoeboxes. And, you know, I remember being first in line with my brothers, you know, because <laughs> we were 
first at church and it was first come, first served. <laughs> at least we thought so. Until my dad came out of a prayer meeting and he was like, you guys are the pastor's kids. Get to the back of the line. <laughs> I remember <laughs> walking Wait. to that back of the line. and it, Let me know, jump in was, just for a second. Where, Eve, I'm where. so sorry. Yeah. I'm so sorry to interrupt. We've got to grab this break. I want to pick up right here when we get back. Remember, you're taking us inside that church in Togo. Aaron the Addison's American Family Radio. We're talking Operation Christmas Child. We're going to grab a quick break and be right back. National Collection Week for Operation Christmas Child. And so we are talking with our brother, Eve Duchemay. Uh <laughs> Listen, we were, we were right at the point where our brother was telling us that uh, the first shall be last. At least that's what his hey. dad told him. Hey, that sounds like me. Look, why are y'all in the front of the line? You better get, get to back. The back of the line. Um, but my question was, we're, we're talking about the impact that these um, shoebox Christmas gifts have on the children who receive yeah. them all across the world, all around the world. And um, our brother was just sharing, kind of taking us back to that church in Togo, um, giving us a picture, painting a picture of what happens on the day that Chris- Christmas shoeboxes are received and opened. And you were right at the point where um, you guys thought you had pastoral privilege, that you were going to just kind of move your way <laughs> yep. to the front of the line. <laughs> and your dad was like, uh-uh, well, not in God's house. <laughs> you know you know, what, you know what, Mickey? We were first at the church building. So, you know, it made sense to be first right. in line, but it didn't play out that way. Dad was yeah. like, you know, get, get to the back of the line, you know, you're crazy kids. And, you know, on that little walk, uh, just with, with my held, with my with my head down, you know, because I was I was embarrassed because I had to make <laughs> thinking, you know, what some of those people in the back are not getting a shoebox. So so many people started showing up, right? But I, I remember just locking eyes with some of the people that just had sworn never to step foot in a church, and mm. uh, some of the people who had been threatened for so many years by the witch doctors and told not to go to the church, and they had all shown up, and you know, in, in case. Uh, people listening aren't really grasping uh, why they were willing to challenge uh, such a such an order, and why they were willing to put their lives on the line for school supplies. Togo is such a poor country that you know I grew up with kids who didn't go to school simply because their families couldn't afford a pack of pencils. Mm-hmm. And I know that sounds insane to us because we can go to the you guys have a dollar store, right? Where mm-hmm. you live, yes. you can go to the dollar store, buy a pack of pencils for one dollar, yeah. be able to use it for the rest of the year. Mm-hmm. Uh, but one American dollar is the equivalent of five hundred and sixty-five of Togolese currency. Wow! So imagine wow. spending five hundred bucks of your hard-earned money on a pack of pencils. It was simply unattainable. Wow. So mm-hmm. those two boxes, you know, if you you know, let's say spend fifteen, twenty dollars on a single shoebox. Just multiply that by five hundred plus, and then you oh, can understand wow. just how wow. how yeah. how much of a treasure a yeah. single shoebox was. So those families mm. just poured into the church. Which doctors and their families poured into the church, 
and they got to hear that, you know, we, we served a, a mighty God who was so powerful yet so loving that he sent his one and only son to come and die on a cross. And not only we as believers, but they too, as witchcraft followers, they too, as witch doctors, would have an opportunity at at, at redemption, at forgiveness, at mm. salvation, at eternal life. And that changed the entire dynamic of uh, the dynamics of everything in my community. And all of that was made possible through 300 hey. shoebox gifts, guys. Oh, my. If, I, I don't know. And I maybe you do. <laughs> maybe you understand the impact of what you just communicated. But just in case you don't, let me just run a highlighter over oh. it. Because even for those of us, like our family, that we have packed shoeboxes. I know that there are other families who have questioned what difference or what impact their packing shoeboxes can really have. Mm. But that picture that Mm -hmm. you just painted, I mean, listen, (laughs) there are families right now, okay, listening to you who are like $500 for a pack of pen. Nope, wouldn't do it. Would not do it. (laughs) But I think that we we have not understood that and understood how the Lord has used the ability that we have to be able to respond in significant and practical ways. Um, and God uses that to advance the gospel. Let's talk practically here for a minute. Let's talk about what kids discover once they open those shoe boxes. Um, Take us there. Like, what is it that we need to be thinking as we gather our families, as we work as maybe single adults or empty nesters, and we're packing shoe boxes? God is using all of this. Absolutely. You know, God can, I I, I witnessed this unfold, you know, before my very own eyes. God can use anything, uh, anything, anywhere to just bring hope to a person in need of it or a community in need of it. In fact, in, at the very bottom of my shoebox that day, there was, a, there was a scarf. And I am actually holding it right now in my hands. I still mm. have wow. it with me 16 years later. <laughs> uh, it's the most valuable item I own today. And I can hear Will laughing because he's like a scarf in Togo, <laughs> West right. Africa. You know, <laughs> 90 degrees every single day. I had no use for this thing. You know, I had, I, I didn't know what it was. I went to the other kids to try and trade it for a pack of pencils. They all kicked me away. You know, I, was, I was in possession of this utterly useless thing. But you know what? Fast forward three years after I received that shoebox, my family was resettled as refugees through a United Nations Refugee Resettlement Program. And guess where they moved us? They moved us to Buffalo, New York. Oh, there you go. And I remember stepping <laughs> off that plane on October 29, 2008, oh, wow. and just being mm. hit by that cold Ooh. air. And you know, as we were walking right there on the tarmac from the plane to the terminal, it just clicked in my head. I found something in my backpack. Nobody else had, so I just proceeded <laughs> to pull it out and wrapped it around my neck, and I was just on top of the world because for the first time wow. I was proven right in front of my brothers. It was awesome. <laughs> but, you know, that scarf just, you know, <laughs> on a more serious note, that scarf just reminds me of, you know, it's a powerful reminder of God's sovereignty in our lives. The mm. fact that he, he knew my past, the things that I had been through, and he did something about it. And in our present, as my dad and mom were trying to witness to which doctors, he knew our present too, and he did something about that. And in the same way he knew my past, present, and future, mm. the, you know, the, the future was also in his hands. And, you know, that just mm. is proof to me that we shouldn't be so anxious and so worried about what goes in our boxes. Let's just pray for the box, you know, <laughs> go and shop, and God will lead us to the items that that kid needs. And, you know, personally, I always 
prioritized school supplies because mm. you know, I knew what it was like in my community. In fact, my best friend didn't go to school for that reason. So I got to share my school supplies with him and he started coming to school with me for the first time ever. And that changed his life because right now he's a software engineer in West Africa. You know, that gave him <laughs> wow. a chance at an education for the first time. So I always pack school supplies. Of course, that wow item is very important to a toy car, a soccer ball, a doll, uh, hygiene items. You know, we brushed our teeth with these pieces of sticks called aloe back in Togo. People are still using them today. So yeah. I encourage you to pack a, a toothbrush you know, maybe a bar of soap, a washcloth, mm. and uh, just follow your heart, and God will use all those items the same way he used every item in my box. And this is, I mean, this this is so encouraging. <laughs> you know, I, I, I really think that um, we tend to overlook the significance of what God calls us to do and what God uses us to do and the fact that God has invited us to enter into a partnership and advancing his kingdom. And he does lead his people. I want to remind our listeners just um, the practical side of what we're talking about. It's National Collection Week, Operation Christmas Child. It is National Collection Week uh, running uh, November 15th through the 22nd. You have an opportunity right now to stuff shoeboxes and get them to those drop-off locations um, to be intentional and to be prayerful about what you put in your box to truly ask the Lord to lead you. I want to encourage some of our families who maybe you haven't um, stuffed shoeboxes before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, maybe this is the year that it becomes a tradition for your family. Maybe this is something that even for your extended family that you guys participate in. Um, the website to learn more is SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. Again, it's SamaritansPurse.org slash OCC. Eve, I'm just wondering um, if you wouldn't mind sharing with us once you guys came to the United States of America, um, how did the yeah. Lord continue to minister to your family and how did you grow in your relationship with the Lord once you were here? You know, um, the, the the biggest shock of, of moving to the U.S. Um, was just witnessing um, sort of the wealth discrepancy, the, the giant gap that exists between where we grew up and where we are today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we are so wealthy in this country, right? We are just so incredibly wealthy. It's insane. Mm-hmm. And it's not just in our wealth in, in material and financial things. We have an abundance of that. But here in the U.S., we have an abundance of hope. You know, mm-hmm. that, like we, we, mm-hmm. we have... You know, we have such an abundance of hope that so many of us lull ourselves into thinking that the next second is guaranteed to us and the mm. next minute is guaranteed the next day. And we make all these plans. We have, like, you know, saving accounts and 401ks and all these things that just fill us with such a confidence that we can control the next moment. But the reality is we don't, you know, we don't have... Mm-hmm. <clears throat> control over what comes next. We don't, you know, the world is in desperate need of that hope that we have an abundance of. And when we came to the U.S., my brothers and I just kind of realized that. And, you know, so we have, excuse me, we have uh, decided to use our God-given gift uh, uh, to make sure that that same hope that we have an abundance of here in the U.S., uh, is, is, is brought to some of the people we grew up uh, in. You know, my oldest brother, Fidel, is, uh, he's now an OBGYN, a, a, an MD, um, wow. getting his training in Memphis, Tennessee, so he can go back home 
and bring hope to some of the people we grew up with. My other brother, Patrick, is finishing law school so he can speak on behalf of the refugees in those same refugee camps that we grew up in. That hope Mm. that we have an abundance of here in the U.S., it's universal, right? It doesn't matter where you're from, how you were raised, Mm. you know, where you were born. Uh, Like, everyone needs hope, and everyone understands hope. But the thing is, we as believers, we we know that that hope has a name, and his name is Jesus. And uh, my family and I have just been encouraged uh, greatly to continue to just bring that hope back home every chance we can because the people uh, in the places where we grew up uh, and are in desperate need uh, of that hope. And, and, you know, this is really, um, I'm glad you asked that question because for the last 18 months, we have suffered greatly uh, with this pandemic, right? Here in the U.S., you know, we have lost our jobs, our livelihoods. Uh, we've, just, we've lost our, our friends and family to this horrible disease. And we are living in virtually one of the wealthiest societies on the planet. If we are suffering as much as we ha- we are here in the U.S., how do we think the rest of the world is faring? And mm. my point is this, you know, now more than ever, that hope that we have an abundance of, that we know so much about here in the U.S., is, in, is, is needed all around the, the world. And I speak with this with such passion because, you know, every single person we cross paths with is... Uh, is is an eternal creature, right? Everybody mm-hmm. out there is an eternal creature. They will live on forever. Everybody will live on forever. Those we know, those we don't, those we meet, those we don't, they will live on forever. However, where they live on mm. forever, they very well be up to what you and me choose to do today. So mm-hmm. the urgency is there. And I just want to encourage the listeners, you know, a shoebox is such a simple way to do that, to reach someone out there in desperate need of that hope in an urgent way, um, in a simple way, a shoebox is a great way to do that. And if you if you are listening right now and you pack a shoebox, I just want to, you know, I don't, for a lack of a better term or word or expression, thank you. Thank you is all of God. But I don't want to just say thank you. I want to encourage you to keep going, and I want to encourage you to multiply those shoeboxes. If you mm-hmm. packed two last year, shoot for four. If you, as a family, packed five, shoot for ten. Uh, the world is, is in crisis and is in desperate need of that hope that comes inside of those shoeboxes, and you and me can do something about it today. Oh, that is Amen. such a great admonition, such an encouragement wow. to the body of Christ. Yes. I, I really feel like, um, Eve, that we, we could just talk to you ongoingly here. <laughs> yes. I mean, what what an encouragement <laughs> and, and <laughs> what a sense of family uh, just in talking with you. I, mm. I know that in this year, uh, the aim is 9.7 million children reached, and 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 that's a mm. that's a that's a doable aim. We we've got enough believers uh, to do that, and so I want to encourage our listeners to participate in um, stuffing shoeboxes. It, it seems so simple when we think about it, but it is so profound in its impact. And again, let me give you the website: samaritanspurse.org/occ. Samaritanspurse.org. Slash OCC. And in the last few moments that we have, oh, and, and just to remind you that National Collection Week, November 15th through the 22nd. So you still got a couple more days, a few more days um, to get after it, as we say, get after it. Um, but let me ask you this, though, Eve, because you mentioned this and I, I was kind of curious about it. We only got about a minute left. I wanted to know yeah. how the pandemic has affected um, the distribution of shoeboxes. Is there a specific way that we as believers should be praying for Samaritan's Purse and um, Operation Christmas Child? 
Yes, you know, um, the, a lot of countries have shut their borders and um, are now slowly reopening and, mm-hmm. and, and, and distributing and ships and all that logistic sides of things has suffered. But, you know, we're not going to take no for an answer, especially now. So <laughs> if you can just be praying that God continues to open doors uh, in, in all the countries we served in, served in and all the countries we have yet to enter, uh, all the unreached people groups that we're seeking to reach in the next three years or so. Um, yes. If you can just be praying for that, that would be that would be amazing. We will. We will. Mm. Operation Christmas Child. It is National Collection Week, November 15th through the 22nd. Learn more by going to SamaritansPurse.org. What a pleasure it was to talk yeah. with our brother, Eve <laughs> Duchemay. We're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing. God bless.